Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to another episode of the Ocho, presented to you in partnership, as always, with SB Nation's blog and theboys.com. My name is RJ Ochoa. You know me, of course, from right here. It's your humble host on the Ocho. It is Thursday, the third day, May the 4th. Be with you, 2023. We hope all is well wherever you are. We hope you're happy, safe, healthy. And before we continue, I would like to remind you that the Ocho is presented to you by our friends at Righteous Felon Craft Jerky, the jerky that helps fuel our Dallas Cowboys. That is correct. Righteous Felon Jerky and Biltong are available for Cowboys players at the Ford Center Training Facility. Each two-ounce bag of jerky has 16 to 20 grams of protein, Biltong 32, and each meat stick appropriately has Ocho grams of protein. If it's good enough for the Cowboys, it has got to be good enough for you as well. Righteous Felon uses locally sourced all-natural black Angus beef and prides itself on superior quality, revolutionary branding, and unique flavors that go beyond the stereotypical jerky offering. Head to RighteousFelon.com and use discount code BTB15 at checkout to get 15% off of your order. That is RighteousFelon.com, discount code BTB15 for 15% off of your order. Like I said, today is Thursday, the third day. May the 4th be with you. I'm recording this portion of the show on Wednesday, May the 3rd. It's almost 1 p.m. Central Time, getting a little ahead of things. I just wrapped up the conversation that uh, you'll hear me have with our guest, John Owning from PFF. It was wonderful. We talked about, obviously, the Dallas Cowboys draft class. Not the whole thing. Uh, a few handful of players, really. Mozzie Smith, Luke Schoonmaker, kind of a, a go blue sort of episode here on the Ocho. John is one of the best when it comes to analyzing football play in general, but certainly defensive line play. Uh, I don't want to say that he can't do anything else because, again, one of the absolute best uh, just when it comes to evaluating football in general, but I do think you will really enjoy the Mozzie Smith conversation that we had. Um, I'm not going to hold you back from it any longer, actually. I'm just going to get to it. I do want to say apologies on the NFC East mixtape being a little bit delayed to you this week. Uh, We had some scheduling issues, Brandon and I, so I know it didn't drop exactly when you're used to it, Uh, but we persevere. We fight on. Nonetheless, so uh, let's go ahead and get to it. Uh, John Oning from PFF joins us next right here on The Ocho. Very pleased now to be joined by the one, the only, the legendary, the internationally famous, and someone like me who knows how uncomfortable it is to be at the O part of the alphabetical order from PFF is John Oning. John, people don't realize the pressure that you and I face and have faced growing up. They don't realize the trauma that we had to endure growing up, you know, not knowing if we're going to be at the end of one line or the beginning of another or at the end of the first line, you know, especially because me, I'm OW, you know, Mm. struggle. 
the struggle. But... I never thought about it that I'm I'm OC, so like I there would be some separation between you and you know, I. You'd be ahead of like, me by one or two people, you know. Yeah, it'd be like me, Shohei Otani, then you. You know what I mean? Like so, mm -hmm. that's a you know. And here's the other thing, and I'll just I'll be straight up, and I'll just say it. Nobody cool is at the O's. You know what I mean? Except for you and I. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're like. Tell, tell me you grew up with somebody that you were like, oh, we're in alphabetical order. Right on. Can't wait to talk to so-and-so. No, all my, all my friends were like at the end. I had a lot of like Rodriguez friends, Van Buren. And then I had some at the beginning, like a bland and stuff like that. No one ever in the middle. In the middle, I was a, I was a lone ranger. Yeah, I think like G is a strong place to be. Um, Ooh, S yeah. can be good um van buren is tough i mean like it's a really specific thing um mm -hmm. if you're at the front at the very least it's over like any kind of graduation yeah, exactly. or whatever um you get in you get out you get done uh john thank you for taking the time to join us um i know you're very busy uh you have a jujitsu class coming up is that what's what's oh, going yes, on next sir. Gonna, yes sir gonna go train jujitsu here leaving right literally right when we're done here i'm gonna put my shoes on and head out um is that what Mike is? I, I, you're very particular about jujitsu and like people mistaking it for other things. Is that mm -hmm. what Mike has been doing as of late? Yes, he did. He went and trained at a place in Austin called B Team Jiu Jitsu, which is actually one of the most reputable and successful jiu jitsu teams in all of the United States, you know, run by guys like world champions, ADC champions like Nikki Rod, Craig Jones, all these type of guys, Nikki Ryan. Tons of like super high level. I was so surprised he went there because he was talking about doing wrestling. And, you know, in Texas, it's really hard to find like a like a straight wrestling club for uh, like freestyle wrestling, folk style wrestling, not that WWE stuff that I know so many people watch. But so it was I was a little bit surprised that he went to jujitsu. But that B team, they're such like they're known for their stand up skills, their takedown abilities, their wrestling abilities. And they have like a lot of high-end wrestlers who switched from college wrestling to jiu-jitsu over there. So it doesn't really super surprise me that that's where he ended up looking for wrestling, but it's just, you know, to me, super-duper cool to see him training with people that I have competed with when I was, you know, a lower belt and that I actively follow, you know, each and every day because jiu-jitsu is probably my biggest passion outside of football. So, you know, I'm watching all the tournaments, all the pro matches, all the black belt fights, so... It was really, really cool to see both my worlds kind of collide together. And the funny thing was, is he even admitted it was not a good day for him. I was going to kind of, I wanted to ask some, I have a couple of friends that train there. So I was going to ask like, how did it go? Like how would, you know, Mike is so big and so athletic and all of these type of traits, but apparently it was a rough, rough day for him, which is not surprising when you're going against world-class people in a sport that you don't really do. But it's just always surprising when you see someone who's such an elite athlete like Micah Parsons get tossed around. It is very cool um, to see Micah exploring different um, physical abilities, I guess, is maybe mm -hmm. the like widest blanket I can cast on it. Uh, you know, T's and P's for you that Ivan Pace Jr., not a, a Cowboys draft pick. If not, you could have like kind of burged your worlds a little bit further uh, in mm -hmm. that sense. Um, so, you know, again, congratulations on persevering through through a different slight in your life. <laughs> uh, the, the Cowboys did draft eight players um, and you have been a really kind of bright light of optimism. Um I don't know a good comp for uh, this Cowboys draft class in terms of reception uh, among Cowboys Twitter, at least uh, people have been, it, it felt like, uh, it felt like people kind of got over the Mozzie doubt by Friday, but then mm -hmm. it took them a long time to get through the Friday night picks, but you are super high on Luke Schoomaker. You have kind of, you know, done a good job of, of sort of silencing all the naysayers and all the doubters uh, in the aftermath of all the Cowboys selections. 
Yeah, you know, and especially it's because the in the Mozzie Smith thing, I kind of understand why fans would be a little bit apprehensive towards that because the things that he do that he's going to do for the defense are not easily available to the public. I would say he's not going to be someone who's filling up the box score. You know, he's not going to be racking in tackles. He's not going to be accumulating a ton of sacks or pressures or stuff stuff like that but he's going to be a force amplifier for the rest of the uh defense you know one interesting thing that came out of the draft is Shree Floyd said that the Cowboys are going to stop playing such an upfield uh one gap penetrating defense and they're going to kind of control their blocks play a little bit more gap and a half and for those who don't know uh the difference because you know it's kind of a confusing um confusing kind of technique that is a combination between uh one gapping and two gapping. So in single gapping is like when you see a defensive lineman um, aligned in the odd technique. So one technique, which is shaded on the center, three technique shaded on the guard, five technique shaded on the tackle. And then you have seven and nine techniques, which is a, which are a little bit differently with the numbers, but they're also shaded on tight end and in the ghost of the tight end, kind of the same thing. And what their goal is, is their goal is to get upfield immediately and get through their gap. They're not really focused on, um, taking on the block as much as they are just trying to get through space, cause disruption, cause the running back to bubble so that your unblocked defender can come and make and make the tackle. Now you have two gapping, which is almost the complete different. You know, these guys are the ones that are aligning mostly in those even techniques. So zero technique, head up on the center, two technique, head up on the guard, four technique, head up on the tackle, six, eight, so on and so forth. And these guys, they're not getting upfield. They're playing with much more backloaded stance. So their weight's on their heels so they can get their hands up and control the blocker and mirror their movement so that once the running back declares his path, they can peek, shed, and go make the tackle. Now when you have a gap and a half, it's kind of a little bit different. It's a combination between the two. This is where you see guys line up in those 2i, which is on the inside shade of the guard. You see 4i, inside shade of the tackle. So in these situations, they're playing a gap and a half where they're still for their first two steps are trying to get upfield and create that little bit of penetration. But once they get those first two steps upfield and penetrate, they're then going to control their block. So they have the ability to fall back to their adjacent gap. So say they're, you know, he's a four eye technique in that B gap. He's going to explode. He's going to um come upfield for his first two steps, control that tackle, and then he's going to wait to see where the running back is declaring. Is he going away from me? Then I shed, and I'm going to try to backtrack to the A gap. Is he going to come front side toward me so I stay in my B gap? You know, these are So you're playing a gap and a half. So there are situations when it's coming to me that I'm a one-gap defender, and then if it's going away from me, I can kind of be that two-gap defender where I can fall back into that adjacent gap so that the linebackers have more ability, more freedom to run to where the ball carrier is while the linemen are canceling out gaps up front. So I think Mozzie Smith fits perfectly into that kind of situation with his ability to occupy space. Obviously, his um, his great athleticism that was noted by Bruce Feldman in his freaks list, you know, and in playing that gap and a half style where he can still get upfield more than that two-gapping style that he was playing in Michigan, I think you're going to let – you're going to see his – Physical advantages shown a little bit more. You're going to see the thing. The most common criticism with Mozzie Smith is that he's laid off the ball, but that's completely because he's two gapping and reacting to what the offensive line is going to do. When you allow him to be a little bit more aggressive with his first two steps, you know, get him in a more front loaded stance. I think you're going to see him, you know, get more penetration, get more backfield disruption rather than just being a guy that occupies blocks and can only make tackles when the running back runs right next to him. 
I think this was um, maybe the best breakdown of the Mozzie pick I've, I've heard. Um, you've written a lot about this and you were really, uh, for anyone who thinks John is just like recently gotten on the Mozzie train, you've been driving the train for a while uh, at this point, oh, yes. um, you know, kind of saying, you know, you would love to pick at 26 and lo and behold, it, it, so it felt like a surprise to a lot of people, uh, but you were kind of trying to manifest it in that sense. It is funny um, given who, you know, who said this, that, you know, the Cowboys obviously, for the first time since that 2013 draft are kind of starting to, I wouldn't say prioritize it is kind of like a perfect storm of like the value finally making sense for them. Like um, it was funny. I think everybody reacted to the Will McClay uh, clip of, you know, evaluating Mozzie against Matthew Bergeron. You, you look back, it is difficult to kind of look at, well, where, where was the opportunity to draft? You know, everybody loved Aaron Donald in 2014. Mm-hmm. They, he just didn't make, it, you know what I mean? That's just mm-hmm. kind of uh, part of the issue there. Um, so that being said, uh, I saw this tweet. I'm sure you saw from from mutual friend um, Joey Ikes quoting mutual friend Nate Tice, uh, who noted the Cowboys' success rate on defense rush uh, rush success rate uh, was 74 percent, and the best in the NFL last year was 73 percent. It does feel like the Cowboys have focused on this, and I I realized this. Um, Bob Stern wrote about how the Cowboys were so. I wouldn't say aggressive, but into pursuing veterans over the second half of last season. And that really, I think the wide receiver position got a lot of focus there, right? They were you know, looking at Odell and obviously, et cetera, et cetera. But they did trade for Jonathan Hankins. Like it, it did seem like they identified those two areas as serious needs and they pursued them. And so in some sense, it is kind of, well, how did we not see this, you know, hiding in plain sight sort of thing? Like they told us they really wanted to, you know, fix their run defense by, by way of trading for Jonathan Hankins, by way of bringing him back. Um, and then by way of, of drafting Mozzie, and then to not even kind of realize that after Thursday and to be a little bit shocked by the DeMarvion Overshawn pick or the Junior Fajoko pick in that sense, like th- this is who they want to be in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's obviously due to, you know, Dan Quinn carries a giant stick in that room. You know, he when he came here, I think the year one, he was kind of just trying to figure out the personnel and what how would what would be the best way to take all the talent that they had and create the most functional defense possible. And he's done a really good job of that. But I think we've all kind of identified that that area, especially going before the Jonathan Hankins trade was going in that that nose tackle position was something that, you know, was really hurting them, you know, Quentin Bohana. And, you know, unfortunately he hasn't really stepped up to being a capable nose tackle there. He hasn't done much. Neville Gallimore hasn't been able to step up, you know, and, in Neville Gallimore's defense, he's not a nose tackle. That's not really what he does. Right. That's not ever coming out what he was supposed to do. He's kind of gotten pushed into that role because of guys like Osa Adigizua really performing better as an under tackle more consistently. So, you know, when you get – and then it seems like this year Dan Quinn really wanted to um, emphasize being able to uh, make the linebackers' lives easier on him because I think we saw last year when LVE got hurt that really hurt the defense because the Cowboys didn't have the interior defenders, especially because Hankins was dealing with injuries at the same time. Right, they didn't have time. the interior defensive line talent that could allow guys like Damone Clark and Jabril Cox to be effective, you know. But now that you have guys like Mozzie Smith and say Leighton Van Der Esch does, his neck gets hurt. Now you're going to – the guys who are stepping in, maybe it's an Overshone or it's a Damone Clark or a Jabril Cox or even a Devin Harper – they're going to have a lot better ability to perform capably because the interior defensive line is going to be canceling gaps, making their lives a lot easier. Whereas in the past, that's not the case. So when you saw when they would lose their top flight linebackers who kind of have figured out ways to still perform in that environment. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. 
As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. I struggle. Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned everybody else, but, you know, when Micah isn't rushing the pass or when he is playing off the ball, I mean, this helps him, right? Like, and, like I'm, I'm in favor of, of anything that helps Micah. Like, um, I wouldn't say that that's his weakness, but that's his thing that he's probably the least super amazing at. Um, so if, if you're improving that status, I mean, you're, you're making the best player on your team better in a number of different ways, which is, and, here, and I think here's another, here's another way that you can help Parsons just going off what you're saying, you know, when you have a nose tackle like Mozzie Smith, who's athletic and he can push the pocket, the it's a lot more difficult for offensive lines to slide their offensive line away from the nose tackle and to give that help to Michael Parsons. That was a big problem with Michael Parsons last year was a lot of, you know, every offense probably week nine on they're sliding towards him. So it, when an offensive line does a half slide, so the center, the guard, and the tackle are all sliding out toward Parsons, that effectively eliminates his ability to win inside because the tackle is worrying, not worrying about the inside move because he knows I got the guard sliding out with me so I can protect the outside. That guard is kind of his barrier to protect him against the inside move. So it really forced Micah Parsons to be a little bit more of a one-note pass rusher, whereas when you have a nose tackle who – offenses are legitimately afraid of that he can collapse the pocket or that he cannot be blocked one-on-one by these smaller centers then Micah Parsons get these better you know it's a one-on-one matchup on the on the edge he can go outside he can go inside he can go through it just opens up the capabilities for him to produce and in those situations I think you can see him be you know given how effective of a pass rusher he has been his first year, just trying it's hard to say like, Oh, he'll be substantially more effective as a pass <laughs> rusher. But I think just the opportunities that he gets will be more advantageous for him. Yeah. I think his pass rushing abilities are more versatile now to your point. Like, yeah. you know um, he's allowed to, to be a, a sort of a true dynamic pass rusher. Um, I mean, everybody laughed about it, but I think the line he had in the moment in the clip that went viral when he was on Bleach Report's show was, you know, and, and again, this is a really specific thing, but how you talking about, well, this, that quarterback sneak that, that Philly, you mentioned week nine, like they were the team who kind of highlighted it. Yeah. We're just going to, we're going to run into Micah. We're, we're going to force him mm-hmm. out of here and, and, you know, make Micah a one note dude. And that one note is great, but if we can mitigate the, the damage that he's going to cause, we're going to be fine. I mean, this, this really did feel like the, the way to, you know, I won't say the like final infinity stone or anything like that, but, um, but it, it did feel like adding a, a, a super friend. I mean, to, to a crew like this, if it doesn't help Micah Parsons, it helps Demarcus Lawrence. Like somebody is going to eat more 
because of the presence of Mozzie Smith. And and I think that's why you were championing for it. Do you would you have preferred, especially looking back now in retrospect, any alternative timeline here? Or do you, are you completely satisfied? You think this is the best way to take the Cowboys where they weren't a year ago moving forward? I mean, I'm completely satisfied. Would he have been like my most was he the my highest rated player on the board? No, no Nolan Smith was personally. I probably would have taken him just because I had such a astronomical grade on Nolan Smith over everybody else, even though he wasn't in need and what have you. But I'm I always think it's hard when you're judging a team's draft based on your own board, because obviously I'm not in the room. I don't have the medicals. I don't have such a giant picture of what goes into them making the selection that they have. I always just go about if it's within like, you know, the three to five players that I would be happy with, then I'm completely satisfied. And Mozzie, as you stated before, has been that since February. You know, he has been one of my primary targets since February when we thought everybody would be available. You know, he's been someone who I wanted now. Like I said, he wasn't the highest rated, quote unquote, guy on my board, Nolan Smith. But that doesn't mean that I'm not totally satisfied with the pick. Yeah, I mean, I think. Again, I, I think that there's been some perspective that's kind of glossed over people in the aftermath of it all. And I don't think anybody is upset about the Mozzie pick. But the Luke, like I mentioned, the Luke Schoomaker pick is like people are, are having a real hard time mm-hmm. making peace with that. Um, and I, I, I mean, I tried to frame it one way in our live show, like, well, would you have preferred Michael Mayer? And I don't know. I mean, you know what I mean? Like th- this yeah, just it, 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 or this, something. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't have, you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. so especially after hearing what you've said the last 15 minutes. So, I mean, what what is and, you know, it, it feel this this tight end conversation has been such an interesting one over the last few months and that don't pay Dalton Schultz. It doesn't matter. Don't spend, you know, premium capital on one. Why didn't you, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a, an endless cycle of, you know, discontent. Uh, but that being said, it does seem like the Cowboys identified a high level of athleticism in the schoolmaker that wasn't necessarily on display at Michigan due to the way they play. I mean, it's a Jim Harbaugh led offense, but um, and, and I, I think when he doesn't have nine touchdowns, people will bag on the pick and be like, well, this was stupid and this was silly or whatever. But he does help the offense in a really significant way. Yeah, I think this all comes down to, you know, just mock draft syndrome, you know. Luke Schoonmaker going in every mock draft was like in a third round. So, you know, when fans see like, oh, he's always going in the third. And then the Cowboys take him in the second round. It has to be a giant reach. But for me personally, the only reason that Luke Schoonmaker, he graded as a second round player in all facets until you add in. I have multipliers in my uh, grading scale. So like wow, if, say a player job. runs below like a four six, like say a cornerback runs below a four six, they're going to get a heavy penalty on their grade, even though. Say they have the perfect film, you know, they have a number one overall pick film, but then they run a four six. That's still going to bump them down like a full round grade just because of the history of force of corners that run four six are so poor, you know, and it's the same as similar thing with Lou Schoonmaker. He graded as a second round tight end in every facet, every category until I added in the age multiplier. He's going to be 25 years old as a as a rookie. And that caused him to drop a half a round into my third round stack. But just if you're just talking about the player, I mean, there's not there's nothing not to like for a second round pick. He is a elite top tier athlete for the position. You see his quickness off the line. You see his ability to accelerate in and out of his breaks. You see the blocking ability. You see the ability to create yak. One of the things that impresses me most is how he tra- quickly he transitions from catching the ball to getting upfield. He's not someone who lollygags. He's not someone who does like that half turn. He spins, pivots, and goes, gets upfield. And I think that's going to be very beneficial 
for creating yak in the Cowboys offense, especially now that you have Mike McCarthy, who's going to be, you know, Dak is going to be throwing to a lot more receivers on the run. You know, these slant flat combinations that Mike McCarthy has been known for there. He likes to get his receivers on the move. Whereas in the past, the Cowboys have kind of targeted more stationary targets with those hitches, those comebacks, you know, those stop routes, those type of things. So I think, uh, Schoonmaker really fits that type of uh, offense and those type of route concepts, you know, those shallow crossers, those flat routes, those type of uh, seam stretching. And I think that's something he brings to the field too, that Ferguson and Peyton Hendershot can't do consistently is Ferguson or not Ferguson Schoonmaker can really stretch that seam. He can run vertically. He can outrun linebackers. He's too big for safeties. He's going to provide a big target for Dak Prescott in the middle. I think, you know, there's just not much that he can't do. You know, Mike McCarthy even said it as well. He can align and block from every tight end position, whether that's in line, that's flexed out in the slot, that's in the backfield, that's as, you know, offline, you know, all the situations. He's just such a versatile tight end, an athletic tight end. He can do so many things and he can get inserted into the tight end corpse easily. They're, putting him on the field does not tip off what you're going to do in any way. And it allows the Cowboys to continue to utilize their 12 and 13 personnel sets that they found so much success with last year. And just like anything else, you have the, the personnel versatility to be able to attack defenses where they're weakest. I looked up um, in the immediate aftermath of this. I was curious because the Jake Ferguson hype got a little bit out of control. I think in the the discourse, against, no offense to Jake, um, mm-hmm. but in the discourse against taking the tight end in the first round, and we're talking incredibly small sample size, you know, because it's mm-hmm. just his rookie year. Obviously, not used a ton, um, and I might be getting it off by like a, a tenth uh, of a, of a number, but I think he averaged two point six yards before the catch per reception. Like, just not a, a vertical mm-hmm. dude. I mean so far in his NFL career. Um, and I think people kind of forgot about that just because he looks like Dalton Schultz. Everybody thinks he's the mm-hmm. same dude uh, in that respect. Uh, John, I tweeted that you were going to come on and I got three questions for you. Um, so these are quick hitters uh, as we get out of here. I meant to get people to only ask you draft related things, but that didn't happen. Um, so <laughs> the first is um, peop- uh, Jimmy wants to know uh, your thoughts about the wide receiver group. I- I'll focus this question on who's wide receiver six for the Cowboys when it's all said Ooh. and done. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I mean, there's, if we run through it, just so in the top of my head, we got the top ones are obviously CD lamb, Michael Gallup, Brandon cooks. Um, I think Jalen Tolbert's safe. Your third round pick in your second year. I would Kevante Turpin. They're probably not cutting. With Deuce Vaughn they kind of do similar things as returners and as jet sweep options. I mean, if Turpin showed more as a receiver, if he showed more as a pure receiver last year, like actually running routes and doing those type of things, I think he'd be safer. And that was a big thing that he was focusing on doing this off season. So we'll see, but I would say he's, I would give him that wide receiver five spot right now, but it's, yeah, who knows? Who knows? But after that, you got, is he safer than Simi Fajoko? No. Oh yes, yes, yes. Safer than Simi Fajoko. I would say, so then for that wide receiver six spot, we got what? We got Simi Fajoko. We got Jalen Marino Cropper. We got Jalen Brooks. We got this. What, what's the dude's name from West Florida? D- the prospect X from the athletic. What's uh, his name? David Durden. Durden. David Durden. Durden. Durden yes. Yeah. So all these guys, I think, have potential. But for me personally, I think Jalen Marino Cropper is the guy that you got to watch out for as the as the sneaky dark horse to make the end of the roster. This guy is quick. He's small, but he's quick. 
He's a type, he's that type of receiver that we see every year, you know, in training camp, he's going to give these DBs heck, you know, he's going to be in and out of his breaks. He's, and the thing is he can press vertically as well. So I think you're going to see him creating a ton of separation, especially when you see him go against kind of these bigger, longer corners that he's going to be matched up with one-on-ones like the Nashawn Wrights who don't really match up well with his skill, his skill set. And I really think you're going to see Jalen Marino Cropper really show well and become kind of a fan favorite who can make the fringes of the 53 man roster. Uh, John, similar question um, says, assuming two running backs on the 53 are Tony Pollard and Deuce Vaughn, who is number three? Are you Malik Ooh. Davis or Rico Dowdle, truther? Rico Dowdle, baby. I think he is a much, not okay, much more. He is a more <laughs> talented runner than I think Malik Davis is. I think he has better vision. I think you see him maximize his gains a little bit better. I think Malik Davis, what's fun about him is he runs really violently and he, his running style is a lot more aesthetically pleasing to the fans' eye, whereas I think Rico Dowdle just – he reads his stuff more. He's smooth. He's a little bit more elusive, I would say. But he's definitely not as physical, not as strong, and not as powerful. But I think that ability to be more trustworthy with his reads and maximizing his gains and what's blocked for him, I think Rico Dowdle will get the um, running back three marker over, um, over Malik Davis. And, Either one of us. And he did win it before he got hurt, correct? Correct me if That's I'm true. wrong, but Dotto did, he did. Out Davis and then got hurt. Yeah, and, and but like I said, Rico uh, – not Rico. Uh, Ronald Jones got no real shot here um, in this conversation from us, I think. So, yeah. I mean, it seems like the fa- like the, the coaching staff likes his like veteran presence, but I watched him a lot when he was signed, and I just don't see anything that he does that would really – warrant taking especially because he's the older veteran he's going to cost more on his veteran minimum is a lot not again a lot but it's more money than what you would be giving rico data or malik davis if they made the 53 and i just don't think his talent warrants him being there except you know coaches have this weird thing about experience you know they like to have players with experience especially if like tony pollard got hurt you're gonna trust Malik Davis or Rico Dowdle, who have never done it for significant portions to be trusted in those situations, whereas Ronald Jones has. But then I would say, have you seen Ronald Jones when he's in those situations? It's not pretty. It's not good. It's not great experience. But, yeah, uh, to answer your initial question, Rico Dowdle is my favorite. Um, I agree with you. Uh, Last one comes from Troy DeCaz. Um, I mentioned Marvel Comics was an option because I saw you tweeted that you were kind of behind on this. Um, I have a lot of questions on that, but I'll say those for a different day. Uh, so I don't know anything about this, but the question is, here's my Marvel Comics question. Assuming you guys are aware of the most recent Spider-Man comics, which you may no, have. No, don't, your tell me, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Then I won't say anything else. I'm, um, behind, I, I'm behind. I heard, I've been hearing that the crazy Spider-Man stuff's been happening, but I just caught up with uh, Sins of Sinister Dominion yesterday. So now I'm going to finally get on the, uh, the Spider-Man thing. And I also heard there's very good Invincible Iron Man stuff that's... Uh, been going on so i'm gonna catch up is this like a subscription are you buying the actual physical comics yeah it's called uh marvel unlimited it's i don't get i don't get the actual comic books anymore i used to but they got they were getting kind of expensive and taking up a lot of space so then i uh, just got a subscription to marvel unlimited and you do this on your phone like tablet like what's the i do it on my laptop do it on my laptop it's great you know i get the nerd out Read, read wow. about superheroes, go into another world. You know, it's fun. And the interesting thing is I take a lot of like for like my writing and stuff. I learn new ways to write and describe situations and describe, you know, 
different types of athletic feats. You know, I always try to take a little bit from the comic, like the, the voice of the comic. And I try to insert it mm. into my writing as much as I can. I'm not a, great at it because I don't get a ton of opportunities to write as much as I would like. But when I do, I try to, you know, combine that in my head. That makes it more, you know, when I'm on the clock on PFF on a Tuesday and reading a comic book, I'm like, ah, it's, it's okay. I can read. I can, read, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, using um, I'm using it for work, I guess. <laughs> That's well said. Um, okay, well then, don't look at like your most recent Twitter mentions. I would say I don't know that this. The, I won't tell you what the person said, but I don't know that it would qualify as a spoiler. Uh, oh, okay. But if it were me, I'm I'm somebody like I don't want to hear anything. Like I I don't want to yeah. I don't want to hear anything that allows my mind to wander in that one mm -hmm. direction. And I'm, I'm exactly. saying so. Just avoid you know maybe refresh your Twitter mentions a little bit and get this one kind of move further on past. Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate because I've been you know I've been trying to duck dive and dodge Guardians of the Galaxy spoilers for the last week you know every time that the video embargo goes up you got dummies trying to you know give hints about oh get ready for this character potentially die i'm like oh so i've been muting all the guardians of the galaxy stuff on twitter counting down the minutes until i get to go to that tomorrow it's a stressful time of year um it was i think now four <laughs> years ago when avengers endgame came out over the weekend Ooh, of the draft i remember um, that i remember that and i don't know did you watch game of thrones were you into it at the time oh yeah oh yeah well, that was also the weekend of the Battle of Winterfell. Um, so oh, there was a yes, lot yes. happening that weekend. Um, some of it worked out. I mean, you know, Endgame. Some of it didn't. Tristan Hill <laughs> yeah. um, in the Battle of Winterfell. Um, I remember Katie Drummond. I think he went to Dallas. It was in Texas for that. And he was like trying to scramble to find tickets for Endgame or something. I remember. It was um it was a special weekend. I remember a buddy and I had an over under on the number of Starks that would die between the Battle of Winterfell and Tony. And I remember we counted um Pepper because I mean uh -huh, she's yeah. kind of a Stark, you know what I mean? So yeah, uh, she counts. but um yeah, she does. But uh I hit the under hit because it was only Tony. You know? Yeah, so, crazy, right? I feel like I, thought, I definitely wouldn't would have thought that one of the one of the Game of Thrones stars would have would have perished in yeah. the battle of though. I thought Sansa was doomed. I thought Arya was, was kind of touch and go. You never knew about Bran, obviously. Uh, Surprisingly, but... they all kind of survive until, except for Rob. Oh, Robbie, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, Rob and Ned. They were the only two. And, oh, um, yeah, Ned, yeah, obviously. Uh, yeah. Was it Cat? Catlin? Catlin the mom? Catlin. Yeah, she was. Yeah. Uh, tough times. John, um, good luck at jujitsu. You said you were going to get an acai bowl maybe after, so good luck yeah, with I that. Think, I think um, that sounds great. Yeah, maybe get the bowl after class and uh, sit down with the latest Spider-Man and figure out what everybody's all excited about. You know what I mean? I like the way you think, RJ. I like the way you think. John Owning on Twitter at John Owning. Again, sorry about the alphabetical thing. Um, and uh, yeah, everybody check out John at PFF. He'll make you smarter. John, thanks so much for hanging out. Hey, thank you. Want to give a big time shout out, big time thank you to John Owning of PFF for taking the time to join us, to educate us, to talk about Mozzie Smith, Luke Schoolmaker, the running back position, the wide receiver position, I guess Marvel Comics, uh, whatever the case may be. It was a wonderful conversation that you can also watch, by the way, on the Blog and the Boys YouTube channel. Uh, we are getting closer and closer and closer to 20 
thousand subscribers. If you have not subscribed to our YouTube channel yet, please go ahead and do so. Uh, of course, the podcasts don't change. We have podcasts coming out all the time. I mentioned uh, before the interview with John that this week's episode of the NFC's mixtape took a little bit longer to get here. Uh, so apologies about that. The Ocho dropped at its normally scheduled time later on the day. Uh, on Thursday, you will have a new episode of Riled Up with Roy White and Tom Ryle. Tomorrow on Friday, new episodes of Girls Talk and Boys, as well as the Star Seminar. On Saturday, a new episode of the world's team and last thing I want to say um, something we're going to be doing here that I'm going to be doing um, now that the NFL draft is behind us and we're kind of in the offseason offseason um, every Sunday I'm going to drop an episode of this show uh, so to speak um, the Ocho except it's going to be El Ocho um, I've said before um, on podcasts or if you follow me on social media that I'm about 80% fluent in Spanish that's something that I've taken really seriously with trying to improve uh, for about a year and a half now. Um, you know, I, I grew up speaking Spanish. Um, I certainly understand more than I'm capable of speaking myself. And, and sometimes when I do speak it, it, it sounds a little bit broken. And, and I know I don't sound as, um, as, as comfortable as I would like to. But um, I, I'll just be honest with you. In, in a perfect world, I would love to, to create some, some Dallas Cowboys content in Spanish. And, uh, you know, we used to have Mauricio here who would do Cowboys Oi, and he did such a great job, and he's so good at that. And I, I'm so jealous of him, and he does such a great job now with everything he's got going on. Uh, but this is something that I've been kind of building towards and, and looking to try. Um, and it, it will be a bit bumpy. I can promise you that. Um, I'll need the translator. Uh, sometimes I'll have to kind of do some Tex-Mex um, and, and use a, a couple of English words. But, um, you know, from here on out for a little while, at least every Sunday, I'm uh, going to have a show that'll be about 20 minutes long uh, where I'll just kind of be talking about the latest and greatest in the world of the Dallas Cowboys, but doing it entirely in Spanish. And so um, I've asked this before, and, and a lot of you have been kind enough um, to offer some things. If you have any television shows or movies or books or, or any other ways to kind of recommend um, opportunities for me to continue to, you know, head down this road, continue to further my education in the world of Spanish. I would love to do that. Like I said, I, I would love to reach a point where I can do this very, very, very comfortably. Um, and that's the goal. And so I appreciate those of you uh, who will or won't listen. We'll see how it all uh, ultimately works out. But um, for now, I'm going to bid you adieu here on uh, on the Ocho. Uh, once again, our, uh, you know, our gratitude and our thanks to John Owning for taking the time to join us. Uh, but let's just, let's just get out of here. Let's, let's just... Let's just run. Let's just get out. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope you have a wonderful meal. I hope John enjoyed that acai bowl. Um, if you have one, I hope uh, it's delicious for you also. Um, and I hope you have the best day ever. You know why? Because you deserve it. We will see you manana, my friends. As always, go Cowboys and peace out.